Hi, my name is Jennifer Hunter and I am obsessed with all things teaching. I'm a sunshine-loving California girl who studied science and fell into education where I became passionate about creating a classroom and school environment that kids love to be a part of without lowering the expectations. I'm an educator, mama, and athlete who has worked in all grade levels and all layers of the education system from teacher to district. I teach you the step-by-step -step tips and tricks to help avoid burnout, connect with kids, and design engaging lessons that keep your students wanting more. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with your teacher bestie mixed with PD. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged for this fun adventure that we call teaching. This is the Learning Project Podcast. Hi friends. I'm so excited about today's episode. In this episode, we're going to talk about the best strategies to teach the four C's. Now, if you've been in education a while, you know the four C's, critical thinking, communication, creativity, collaboration. But we are also going to add how to integrate artificial intelligence into our instruction to enhance the learning process. In this episode, you are going to get multiple strategies to take your kids from just having knowledge to using that knowledge at a high level. Isn't this what teaching is all about? I think we can all agree that teaching these skills is not just something that we need to do because the standards tell us or the Department of Education has told us, but instead it's what our kids need in order to be successful for their careers and their future. Let's jump in. We're going to start with communication. I immediately think of verbal communication, but communication is really more diverse than that. In order to be considered an effective communicator, we have to be open and honest, exhibit active listening skills, understand tone and context, and be able to read body language. In the classroom, including my own, I would frequently have students share ideas through choral response or having them share with their partner exactly what I wanted them to say. Although they were talking, this was not teaching them the skill of communicating. I'm sure we have all done this. We start off with great intentions, but we want to make sure our kids are sharing the correct information. After all, we don't want them to practice things that aren't correct. But in order to really have students communicate effectively, we have to let go of some of the control. One shift in the way that we integrate communication into our classroom could be by having students interact in an unscripted way. Instead of asking a question and having them repeat in a choral reading or echo what the teacher is asking, asking an open-ended question gives the students the opportunity to take what they had learned and process it and put it into their own words. All of our students may not be able to do this, specifically our English learners who may lack the academic vocabulary or perhaps our students with disabilities. Providing the help of a language frame or paragraph frame will really enhance their ability to communicate those ideas. I would provide all of my students the frame for an open-ended question to help them develop their academic language because, let's be honest, all of our students are academic language learners. That's why we're teaching them. I also felt like it really lowered the effective filter, giving every student access to what they needed in order to be able to share. While creating open-ended questions for students to answer and providing a sentence frame can help with their verbal communication and academic language development, 
while they're talking to one another, we also need to teach them active listening skills. One of my favorite strategies to promote active listening skills is partner summary. As students are sharing their answer to open-ended questions, the role of the person listening is to pay attention to two or three words or phrases to integrate into a summary. At the end of the sharing opportunity, the student that did not provide the response would then be asked to share out a summary of what their partners answered and then add on to the end of it. As the teacher, when I have my students sharing, I first have them stand up. One, it's a change in their physical state. It increases blood flow and oxygen to the brain. It physically gets them moving, which increases energy. And it gives me the opportunity to move through the groups doing the ear hustle and listening in on their conversations. I wanna make sure that they're on the right track and be able to redirect if I have to. This gives me an opportunity to check in with my students that may need support and offer feedback. It's timely, specific, and inspiring. It's right in the moment. It also allows me to have them move and share with another partner after we discuss a couple of the answers from the first response. And then again, I can provide feedback and positive encouragement to my students for their hard work. Now, some content areas lend themselves to these open-ended questions a little easier than others, but utilizing a tool like ChatGPT can save you hours of time. I was a biology teacher and a lot of my content is process focused. So creating open-ended questions could sometimes be difficult. I just went to ChatGPT and asked it to create an open-ended questions to have students describe the process of photosynthesis. And this is the response. Can you describe in your own words, the step-by-step -step process of photosynthesis, including the molecules involved, how they interact, and explain how the process contributes to the growth and survival of plants. I then asked ChatGPT to produce five more questions and bam, 10 seconds later, I have five more questions. Oh, the power of technology. And guess what? You can do this for math problems too. I asked it to create an open-ended question for solving a systems of equation, and this was the response. What are the possible methods for solving a systems of equation, and how do you determine which method is appropriate for a given system of equation? That's a lot different question than asking students simply to solve a system of equation. It's teaching them why we use system of equations. Talk about rigor. This gets me so excited. It takes learning from this passive experience to one that requires students to interact and engage with the content. It's so cool. All right, so partner conversations are one way to integrate active listening and verbal communication in your class. But how do we include tone, context, and body language? We have our students create. Having students demonstrate different forms of communication to show their learning creates an opportunity to discuss tone, context, and body language. Think about it. If we're presenting in a class or in front of an audience, our tone and our body language can be different. We also have to be in tune to the audience's body language. In addition to just presentations, students can communicate through essays, vlogs, podcasts, advertisements, posters, Instagram stories, public service announcements. The list goes on and on. 
Communication skills can be demonstrated through all of these avenues, but the power to motivate and engage students is allowing them to have choice on how they want to demonstrate the skill you are looking for. The more you allow students to have choice in the type of communication that takes place, the more motivated they will be to complete the assignments. Choice is an essential part of well-rounded and diverse communication, and effective communication can be practiced across all platforms. So here are five ways to increase the quality of communication in your classroom. Number one, provide choices of the way in which students communicate what they know. Two, require students to utilize academic language in their communication within the classroom. Number three, increase opportunities for students to share with pairs, small groups, larger groups, and whole class. Four, ask students open-ended questions. And five, have students participate in the partner summary activity to promote active listening. The second most popular C that we find in the classroom is collaboration. Whether it be a structured think-pair-share or a group activity, collaboration is happening in classrooms all across the country. Even though there's been an increase in collaboration, the focus is still on the teacher being the person that provides all of the information for the collaboration to happen. Let me explain. I, as a teacher, am standing at the front of the class and delivering a lesson on the Bill of Rights. I'm telling my students everything they need to know about the Bill of Rights. I let them collaborate on making a poster with the Bill of Rights on it. Collaboration? Okay. Critical thinking and developing autonomy? Not so much. In order to up the ante to develop collaboration skills, we need to think about the activities that we are having students collaborate around. But before we get there, let's talk about the characteristics of effective collaboration. I can almost guarantee that we have all been a part of a team that was dysfunctional. When I think about those experiences, they left me feeling frustrated, undervalued, and just sad. I've also been a part of some highly effective teams. In my old organization, we would call them taco teams. They were the teams that loved to work together, and then they would go out for a margarita after the workday was over. Recently, I was a part of one of those teams. When we were working on developing five full days of professional development for teachers, administrators, and paraeducators, we had a very, very, very rough outline of what we needed to provide in an incredibly short amount of time. Working together, we created high quality and engaging experience for those teachers. And what made that team so effective were a few things. Number one, strong leadership. This does not mean a micromanager. A strong leader effectively delegates responsibility and helps to highlight the expertise of the members of their team. Additionally, an effective leader will help to remove barriers that inhibit the team's success. They put team above everyone. My dear friend, Christine Rich, is one of these leaders. She is effective at communicating expected outcomes, modeling behavior, and exemplifying what it takes to lead a collaborative team in a positive way, trusting the members of the team to carry out a shared vision and leveraging everyone's expertise. Number two, having a shared focus and common goal. 
There is power in numbers and cultivating a vision of shared ownership of a common goal supports the camaraderie of the team. Ensuring that all members of the team are moving in the same direction creates a clear understanding of what is to be expected from everyone on the team. Then we go to number three, clearly defined roles. Once a common goal has been established, solidifying the roles and responsibilities for each team member creates shared accountability for the outcome. Although the roles may be defined at the beginning, it does not mean that the individuals are not still working together towards that common goal. Each role is a piece of the puzzle for the intended outcome. Number four, effective and frequent communication. There's that communication again. When working with a team, there's a need for frequent and effective communication. This can take many forms and varies in short-term versus long-term projects. Providing a space for students to work individually and then come back together to communicate with each other on what their progress is towards their outcome ensures accountability for each member and gives the team an opportunity to provide feedback regarding the work that's been done. Effective communication within a team lacks judgment and is constructive in nature. Teaching our students language that is supportive and not judgmental and how to appropriately and effectively interact should be a part of developing our highly collaborative teams in our classroom. Okay, number five, consistent and enthusiastic effort. You may not always get tons of enthusiasm out of your students to work collaboratively, but it sure does help a team to be successful. Helping everyone on the team feel as though their role is important and valued can lead to higher levels of enthusiasm and help to ensure that the effort on the part of all team members is consistent. Being their cheerleader as their teacher helps maintain some of that enthusiasm in working towards the goal on a bigger project. Number six, shared resources. Man, I love me some Google. Google has changed the way collaboration can happen in the classroom, and although Microsoft Teams has tried to do a similar thing. I just don't think it's as effective. I read a tweet this week from a teacher that was talking about how her students were sharing a Google Doc to take notes in her class, and the students were collaboratively working on answering and asking questions to one another, all in the same doc. At the end of the course, they had this giant Google Doc with all of their notes in one single place, and they really took control of their learning, and that made it a shared experience. How cool is that? Sharing of resources has never been easier and leveraging platforms like Google truly create a more collaborative effort. And as the teacher, I can see who has made the changes within a Google slide deck or Google doc. Number seven, we before me. All of us have some form of ego when it comes to a skill that we possess. As our students work in collaborative teams, they may need to shed their ego and put the we before me. Aligning to a goal or purpose, defining clear roles, sharing and communicating effectively, and sharing of resources all aid in fostering this release of ego. It helps to highlight the work of many versus the work of one. Laying the foundation for collaboration in your classroom includes sharing what it means to collaborate and directly teaching your students these seven attributes that you would require for collaboration in your class. Personally, I wouldn't lecture on this topic. 
I would create a gallery walk that asks students different questions about what it means to be a part of an effective team, allowing them to discuss and answer on their own on a poster or maybe on a Google Doc. At the end of the discussion and the walk, then I would provide the students with some sort of article, text, or infographic where they could read and highlight the components from that article aligned with the answers to their questions, making those connections. I would then provide my own one-pager for what collaboration expectations in my classroom look like and have them review it and provide feedback. If the class agrees to these components, then we can adopt that tool as our group and collaborative activity guide. I'll provide a link for a freebie for that collaborative classroom one-pager in the show notes if you're interested. When we think about creating classroom activities that foster collaboration, providing our students with the opportunity to do that collaboration prior to receiving the instruction could be a great way to increase academic discourse between students. Like with the example above, enrolling out the collaboration expectations. Giving the students the opportunity to activate their prior knowledge and working with teams and share their experiences primes the brain and gets them ready for the topic that you want them to learn. Additionally, in the example for the Bill of Rights, having your students think for themselves and develop their own Bill of Rights prior to providing the instruction on what our Bill of Rights actually says increases the conversation and the critical thinking around what those rights really mean. Students can then take the ownership of their learning instead of just copying information or talking in the abstract. Simply integrating collaboration into an inquiry kind of lesson increases the likelihood for critical thinking to take place and collaboration becomes more of this academic discussion and not just regurgitation. So here are three ways to increase collaboration in your classroom. Number one, increase the time students spend talking to each other five times more than what you currently do in your class. Number two, provide opportunities to work in groups no larger than three to solve problems and not just regurgitate the information. Number three, give students options on developing expertise together and teaching the class. Allow them to use digital tools. And number four, set up expectations for what collaboration looks like in your classroom and vet them with your students. Let's move on to creativity. As a creative, this one really, really excites me. I actually think my future digital course might be in helping teachers to enhance their creativity with lesson design. Let me know if that would be something that you're interested in. Also, I can provide coaching on how to integrate creativity into your classroom. Reach out to thelearningprojectgen at gmail.com if you would be interested in that. What I find is that teachers allow kids to utilize their creativity on culminating projects, but don't necessarily think about how they can provide instruction in a creative way. One of my favorite activities that I used to do as a teacher was called illustrative vocabulary. If you've ever seen the PBIS show Word World, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of like that. On this show, Everything is created using the letters of the word for that item. So for example, a house 
would look like a house, but the letters H-O-U-S-E would be what's building the structure of the house. A dog would be illustrated with D-O-G. What I required my students to do was draw the meaning of the vocabulary words using the word. I chose maybe 10 or 12 words from the unit and then randomly selected my students and they could only choose three words from the list. So the maximum number of kids working on any word at any time was three. So if the word was adaptation, my students then had to write the word using the definition for adaptation to symbolize what that word meant. I will provide an example in the show notes, but essentially, I would draw the word and color the word adaptation to look like a tiger, stripes, and then have it hiding in some really high grass so it would be camouflaged. Once they created their three drawings, I then grouped them and would have them do a partner activity where they would find their partner and share uh, share their three words and drawings And the other person would have to guess what the word meant based off of what the drawings were. The artist would then share the actual definition. This allowed for my students to be creative and it took what could be a very monotonous vocabulary activity, we have all had our students write the word and draw a picture, and transformed it into this higher level thinking skill that required them to analyze the meaning of the words and find a way to represent them visually. Look for ways to infuse more creativity into the tasks that are redundant or repetitive in your classroom. If you are not inherently creative, ask your students for ideas on what they might want to do to help demonstrate their understanding of some of those more mundane activities that still have value in leading to the student's learning of the material. Teaching creativity allows students to take ownership of their learning. A lot has changed in the 20 years since I have been in high school, and entrepreneurship and freelance work is at an all-time high for millennials. How did those students create these amazing industries if they always thought inside the four walls of our classroom? In any instance where you can provide a rubric for the content requirements that you are looking for, but then allow your students autonomy in how they demonstrate their knowledge, do it. Give kids the freedom to think outside the box and give yourself the freedom to find ways to creatively provide instructional opportunities for your students. Here are three ways to increase creativity in your classroom. Number one, give students options on showing what they know. Number two, look for ways to infuse creativity in your day-to-day activities. And number three, find ways to integrate technology. Our final C is critical thinking. As a teacher that was classically trained under the California state standards, the early standards, where every standard said the students know, releasing the reins and allowing my kids to think and problem solve was an area that I worked really hard to develop. This is the area that I can find the biggest opportunity for growth in most teachers in classrooms that I've walked through. Critical thinking skills are developed through students demonstrating an understanding of a topic and then solving problems related to that topic by developing arguments to support their accuracy. 
This is not only a challenge because it requires higher order thinking skills, but it's also a challenge because it's difficult to determine what is real information versus opinion on the internet these days. The key to developing critical thinking in your classroom is by providing problems that your students need to solve using the information they've acquired. If an answer can be Googled, it's probably not critical thinking. Critical thinking is really implemented when students apply the information that they know in new ways. One strategy for teaching kids critical thinking skills is called Stump the Teacher. The goal of this activity is for students to develop a question related to a piece of content that stumps their teacher, metaphorically, of course. After presenting a chunk of content, have students develop their own unique question designed to stump you. They want their question to include important vocabulary or processes, but it should have some sort of content knowledge that they in turn need to know. Once they have developed their individual question, then they share it with a partner and they choose which question may be the one that actually stumps you. You then have those partners share with a quad, so a group of four, and in that group of four then, they choose which of those two questions is going to be the one that stumps the teacher. Then the quads move into a bigger group in a group of eight, and they discuss the questions and choose one to represent their questions from their group, and so on, until you have one question standing. Not only does this require students to think to build their own question, but they have to interact and decide what question incorporates enough of the learning to really stump their teacher, and it also includes communication, collaboration, and creativity. Boom. Another one of my favorite things that I did as a teacher was have my students design their own labs. Cookie cutter labs that have step-by-step -step instructions are fine, and they produce data that kids need to be able to analyze and explain, and there's definitely a place for them. But whenever I had a topic that I could have my students create their own lab, I did. They would have to develop their question, identify their variables and their control. How are they going to collect the data? What data were they going to collect? This process required a lot of metacognition. They had to think about their thinking and process how they were going to find an answer to their problem through de the development of their experiment. These were so challenging for my students, but man, they provided so many critical thinking skills. And even though they were challenging, they were the number one activity that my kids asked for when I did my unit reflections. Here are four ways to increase critical thinking in your classroom. One, challenge students to find ways to solve problems. Two, encourage students to articulate their thinking and share your thinking on how you would solve a problem. Three, encourage students to think creatively and generate multiple outcomes to a single problem. And four, emphasize the importance of asking questions and set up opportunities for student questions to be utilized in your lesson. Bottom line is that integrating high levels of communication, creativity, and collaboration often lead to higher levels of critical thinking. Classrooms that incorporate these components will have engaged and motivated students that are active participants in their learning. And it makes for such a fun, engaging environment. 
I get goosebumps thinking about my students engaging in these activities. And if you try any of these, take a video or send me a DM. I would love to hear about it. And don't forget to hop on over to the show notes for the Collaborative Classroom one-pager. And there may be some other free resources there that you might want to grab from this episode, including some of the routines I talked to you about today. I hope you love this topic as much as I did. It's my very, very favorite thing to talk about, if you didn't notice. (laughs) Um, So if you could take a moment to rate, review, or subscribe, I would really appreciate it. Bye for now, and happy teaching. Hey friend, I'm over here giving you a fist bump, high five, and big hug for completing another episode of the Learning Project Podcast. Was that way too fast or what? If you want more, head over to learning-project.com for show notes and all of the links, freebies, and discount codes from this episode. And if you're looking for some new teacher besties to share wins, bounce ideas, and ask questions, head on over to Facebook to join our exclusive community for inspired and positive teachers just like you. The link is waiting for you at learning-project.com. See you there.